Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. A 2-1 pitch. And a drive in the air to deep right field. That ball headed toward the wall. That ball is out of here. Out of here. A game-winning grand slam home run off the bat of Robin Ventura. Hey. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run by Piazza. And the Mets lead three to two. Turner drives one to center, chasing Nimmo back to the warning track, right at the fence. He made the catch! Oh, wow! The catch of the year for Brandon Nimmo! He took a home run away from Justin Turner! Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? The show starts in 10, 9, And welcome to another episode of the Shea Hello Podcast. My name is Casey Lind. I am joined by my co-host, former Met, former Major League Baseball pitcher Bill Pulsifer. As we are entering this episode, it's a dozen, Bill. It is number 12. How are you doing, sir? I'm hanging in there, man. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Uh, we'd like to thank Stephen White our producer behind the scenes who takes care of everything that uh, you don't see and we don't see, please check out his website at roots, plural roots dash recordings.com and his podcast at pop uh, cold Popcast. So thank you, Steve, for everything that you do. And uh, you know, Bill, here we are in the midst of the MLB playoffs. And I know you're, more pumped than the average fan, as you, you said that, uh, you know, weeks ago. And uh, we are right at the end as the uh, Texas Rangers have punched their ticket to the World Series, their first uh, World Series appearance since 2011. And uh, let's just go right into the Rangers for a second and get your thoughts and my thoughts on uh, that series. Rangers were down 3-2 going into Houston, and they took both games. Not one team won a home game. Every away team won their games. Not one team got a victory. Props to the Astros. Uh, I should say props to the Rangers. And, uh, you know, Diamondbacks and Phillies, Let's. I'll be honest with everybody listening. There's no way around it. We're recording this before we know whether the Phillies or Diamondbacks in Game 7 will go. So we'll play along later as if they each win, if that works. But before we do that, um, Game Seven's always fun. And we're going to get two. First time since 2004 that uh, both LCS uh, uh, went Game 7. So your thoughts on the Rangers and the ALCS with the Angels prevailing? Yeah, I think uh, we had talked about it before when I said that I felt like they needed to be punched in the mouth a little bit, uh, and they did get punched in the mouth uh, three, day, three days in a row, three games in a row. Um, obviously, crazy series with the, the, uh, the home team not winning any of the games, but um, the Rangers showed some serious resiliency, and uh, I felt like they were the team to beat. I don't like predicting baseball because it's so hard to do. And I was sweating a little bit there because I had said that I felt like the Rangers were going to go through. But um, great ball club, hitting on all cylinders, showed some uh, great resiliency and some fight to come back from, uh, from you know, being on the brink. And you've got to, uh, you got to say that they're, you know, they've got a, they got a chance, man, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, they talked to Dusty Baker after the game about how crazy is it for, you know, just the Astros not to win a home game, you know, four games, 0 and four at home. You know, he talked about how disappointing it is for the crowd and all that, but that's insane. And at, at my opinion, home field advantage in baseball is not that imperative, uh, you know, uh, compared to other sports, but that's extreme. 0 and seven in terms of home teams. So do you make anything of it or is this just baseball such a strange game 
Yeah, I think it's just baseball such a strange game that anything can happen. Like I said, that's why I have a hard time wanting to predict predict what's going to happen because anything can happen, and, that, and this just proves that anything can happen. And then once you get to this time of the year, you got the best teams and the hottest teams. So um, surprising, yes. Surprising, no, because baseball baseball is just baseball, and, and shit happens. Yeah, uh, with the Rangers, I I got I put my foot in my mouth back when Degrom was signed over there and Scherzer was traded over there as we keep it in Mets uh, talk right now, you know, when DeGrom signed there and took more money and opted out of his contract and they said, Oh, the culture has changed in Texas. So the Rangers who have punched their ticket, like we just talked before, and I'm going to keep it in Mets talk. DeGrom signed there. I put my foot in my mouth. Scherzer was traded there and they talked about how the culture was changed. And we all were like the Rangers, you know, because they had lost over 100 games in 2021. To be in the World Series two years later is insane. So here they are. Now, my question to you, we don't know if they're going to win the World Series or not, um, but they're there. They made it. And nobody remembers second place. You know, no Phillies are not happy about going to the World Series in 2022. They got swept by the Astros. They got, you got to win it all. Um, I've seen a lot of Met fans on Twitter and on various, you know, radio stations and whatnot. And uh, it's ridiculous to me about their thoughts. And I wanted to get your take, and I'll give you mine, about some of the fans would rather see the Phillies win than Scherzer or DeGrom. And throw Travis Jankowski in there because I just love the way he plays. He's on the Rangers, too. He's a fourth outfielder. He's paid his dues. He almost did um, a home run the other day. Got yeah, he got, he got robbed. That would have been a, you know, good for him. Um, I, I, I find it insane, and I keep using that word today. I don't know why. Uh, maybe I'm going insane. But Scherzer and DeGrom did not contribute to the Rangers at all. DeGrom, not at all. He literally threw, I think it was like 30 innings, Tommy John out for a year and a half. Yeah. I, knowing how DeGrom is and how competitive he is, he'd probably, if they won the World Series, if, big if, he would take that World Series ring and throw it in a drawer. You know, because his competitive nature is, well, thank you for the share of, you know, the money of the bonus. And I could put on my resume, I'm a World Series winner, but he didn't contribute. So that would probably irk him more. You know, he'll be happy in the moment. So as a former major league player and a guy who's very competitive and I'm competitive too, for different reasons, you know, I, I find it in, in incredible that Met fans would rather see a, a, a team like the Phillies win Met fans and Philly fans do not get along. They never will over Scherzer winning another world series and DeGrom getting a world series right after he left the Mets. Yeah. Well, as a, as a former player, and a fan. Um, I think my fandom is a little bit different than uh, your average fan. And that's um, why we ask you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, like I said last podcast, I'm able to separate my fandom when it comes down to these types of situations and just try to enjoy the game for what it is. Um, once your team's eliminated, I don't think that you should particularly care one way or the other um, who wins, you know? As for Scherzer and DeGrom, um, I know that things ended a little, little, uh, you know, not so little. great with, with, with Max leaving, but while Max was on that mound as a Met and while Jake was on that mound as a Met, nobody gave more of an effort than either one of those guys. Correct. So you can't begrudge a guy, you know, whether it's success, non-success, whatever it may be, it's not like they were out there lollygagging or half-assing what they were doing. And obviously Jake is, uh, had one of the best runs in the history of the game as a Met. And we need to appreciate that for what it is. Um, yeah, I think you're 100% right. I don't think that uh, if Jake gets a ring with the Rangers, I don't think that ring sees the light of day. You know, it's not right. like he's going to be wearing that. And I do definitely believe it's going to make him more hungry to come back and uh, and try to get one while he is an integral part. Um, I'm sure it's going to eat at him, you know, uh, because – it's been what 2011 was the last time the Rangers were in there. So that's, you know, you never, you never know when you're going to get a chance to get back. But one thing real quick about the Rangers, they've spent the money, they've got the players, they've got the horses and they've got a great manager. So this, none of this is surprising, even though it's a team that lost 104 games, whatever, it was, right. just a few years ago, they've completely turned around that organization. And uh, you got to give Chris Young a lot of credit and you got to give uh -huh. her a lot of credit for spending the money. And um, they're, they're right there. 
I'm glad you brought up uh, the manager, Bruce Bochy. First ballot Hall of Famer, regardless, with all the rings that he won with the Giants. This is just going to help his resume. He's already going to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, it's amazing what a manager can do, you know, and help lead a team and, and just help turn around the culture of the team, you know, because Bruce Bochy, he did it. You can't take that away from him. And, you know, uh, he's a former Met, by the way. Not many uh, people know that. I think uh, it's a good trivia question or yeah. a yes or no question. He played like 18 games wow. in 1982 or three uh, for the Mets. So former Met, Bruce Bochy. But, there you go. Even you know, more of a reason for people to get upset. No. <laughs> ah, right, right. Oh, I don't want the Rangers to win a World Series because former Met, you know, Played Bruce Bochy, right? who 18 total fucking games, you know. So right. um, we'll see what happens in the World Series. We'll keep it here in the MLB playoffs. So we don't know whether the uh, Phillies or the Diamondbacks will win uh, game seven. But let's pretend either or do. Um, I got to give credit to the Diamondbacks for just making it a game seven and winning game six. Tommy Pham had a home run, you know, going into that ballpark at Citizens Bank ballpark is a very big, difficult thing to do with that raucous crowd. We don't know how game seven is going to go. It's either going to be Rangers, Phillies, Rangers, Diamondbacks, Rangers Friday will have home field advantage in game one. So with that being said, not knowing at this moment and when people hear this, we'll, we'll know. Who do you like? And, you know, we'll find out tonight who wins. And everyone hearing this obviously can either laugh at us or, guys, guys, the game hasn't been played when we're airing this. But obviously Philly's at home, and they got uh, Ranger Suarez on the mound against uh, Faft, I believe, who they're both pitching well in the postseason. Yeah, they both pitch well, yes. Um, who would you give the edge to in Game 7? <laughs> and let me – I know, you don't have to predict it if you don't want, but let's make it another uh, uh, branch of that. Who would give the Rangers the tougher time in the World Series as we know the Rangers are there? I mean, you can't put anything past the D-backs at this point, but I would think with the experience uh, and a little bit of pissivity that the Phillies have from last year, I would think the Phillies might give them a better match. Uh, but like I said, you can't put anything past the D-backs right now because I thought they would have been uh, dawn and, gone and done and done and dusted a long, yeah. long time ago. And they've shown nothing but resiliency. And now they have went in and won a game in that rock with that raucous crowd that's only ramped it up to a whole other level here in the playoffs. So yeah. I think um, anything can happen in the game in the in the final game in Game Seven. And um, I think it's all up for grabs. Uh, in the World Series, I don't think that there's a favorite. I think that um, the Rangers got exactly what they needed with a little bit of a punch in the mouth to remember that baseball was hard, and they've reacted um, tremendously. Uh, Garcia is just off the charts right now, Oof. hitting home yeah. run after home run, and um, I think anything can happen. Let's see what happens tonight. I said Phillies from the very beginning, so I'm going to go ahead and stick with my guns right now, but I wouldn't be surprised um, – if it goes the other way around, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I'm happy you mentioned uh, Garcia, uh, Adoles Garcia, who won the MVP for the ALCS. Um, I was having this conversation with a friend. There's something about the Cuban players that have that swag to them that not, a lot of other players, not that other players don't have swag, but they have a different kind of swag. Tell me if you agree with this, because I could just ramble off a couple players and you'll know that they have that different type of swag. Uh, Randy or Rosarina? Yep. Jordan Alvarez, Ioannis Cespedes, and then uh, Adolis Garcia. These guys have that swag that just brings another element to your team where they just don't give a shit. And I get it. Imagine growing up in Cuba, yeah. you know, and then playing in the major leagues and being good. <laughs> like, it's hard enough just to get here. So, like, I wish they don't grow on trees. I love saying that expression, you know, as I always said about Pete Alonso. Is there? Do you agree with that? Um, I, I would love it if the Mets could get somebody like that, but they don't grow on trees. You know, the Mets had it in Johannes Cespedes, and they rode at that for a year and a half in 2015 and 16, if you will. And then, you know, he whatever he did, we won't go into that. But is there something about Cuban players or a different type of swag that you see with that? Because I see it right off. You know, the eye test shows me. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I I'm gonna I'm gonna show my my old curmudgeonness now about uh, I blame uh, Cespedes for everybody having different colored spikes, this, that, and the other thing uh, that, that is now prevalent in the, in, uh, in major league baseball. 
Uh, obviously, the Cuban players do have a different kind of uh, strut swag to them. They they like to show uh, show what they've got and don't care what anybody thinks. Uh, I played with some Cuban guys, and um, all of them are a little bit different. And I also heard heard some of the horror stories of growing up in Cuba and yeah. how rough that they had it. You know, and you you can look at some of the Cuban players that have come over here to the states and have had you know big flash right away and then kind of went away. I think sometimes the when you grow up with having absolutely nothing and the right. government telling you you can't have anything, uh, sometimes it um, can go to your head a little bit when you get a little bit of money and a little bit of fame and you kind of flash out. And then other ones become, you know, big time stars for years and years and years. But they definitely do carry themselves uh, with the swag, like you said, um, sometimes a little bit too much. I think that uh, what happened the other day, you know, there's all there's celebration and there's that. But um I think that the I don't even think it was the walking down halfway to home uh, to first base and flipping the bat. I really believe it was the college bullshit stomping on home plate that um, that pissed everybody off. We don't know whether it was on purpose or not. I don't know if it was necessarily him getting hit on purpose by team or just the Abreu, the other pitcher, just took it upon himself that he didn't like it. But um, Cuban players definitely definitely carry themselves a little bit different than your, your average white guy. If you want to say that's, you know, but, um, exciting, exciting player. He's on fire. I didn't particularly care for all the shenanigans, but as you saw, uh, shoot, it was, it must be two or three home runs again. Now the the first home run he hit right after he got, he got plunked and they got into it. He took it a little bit differently. You know, he walked and then he just threw the bat down and then took his little trip around the bases and stepped on the plate. So, and he, he never stopped hitting home runs. It's really, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, he, he never stopped. It was like they booed him in, in the in uh, Minute Maid Park. And look what he did. You know, yeah, he, got like the, they, he got the last laugh. He got the last laugh for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Cespedes, I agree with you. He changed the landscape of a lot of different things because he was really the first Cuban player. And you did mention players that from Cuba that uh, didn't pan out. And the first person that uh, it panned out for him because he got paid a lot of freaking money. Yasiel Puig. If you remember that name, you know, he, the, the Dodgers had a good couple of years to start his career and then filtered out. Um, part, of me wonders, part of me wonders like now if it's like a, a thing that you have to keep up, you know, as a Cuban player, because I'm sure if you're in Cuba, you're following the guys that are in the league and you got to you got to have your style. You got to do your thing. You know, uh, part of me wonders that. But whatever, to each his own. I'm not one to, you know, to to pick on people for whatever they do. Everybody does their own thing. You can like it. You can dislike it. Yeah. Now we talked about swag and this is a different type of swag. And I had this conversation with the same friend in the news again today. And this is not going anywhere, Mets fans. Otani, the Mets are going to be front and center and it's made its way back into the headlines today. With you have the richest owner in sports, you have the biggest market in sports in New York, and you have arguably the biggest name in sports, at least the biggest name in baseball for sure, Otani. Um, you're going to hear all the rumors about how the Mets are going to be involved, and they will be. He's the biggest name, and and Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, loves you know shiny big objects, whether they're art or they're his huge fish tank, or probably the thirty. He has. I'm sure does he, he has have like, a shark in his house. I believe. Yeah, he <laughs> he's got a shark tank that's bigger than both of our homes combined. I'm sure. You know, um, that's what almost 19 billion dollars will do. Good for him. But Otani. He's a different type of swag. He's not going to throw the bat down. He's not going to show up anybody. But, you know, he's got that that aura about him, obviously, when you have that, you know, he's not going to pitch in 2024. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this a lot because these rumors are not going to go away until he signs with somebody. I know how you feel about Otani. We've talked about it, how you would love if the Mets – could sign him, but, you know, obviously it changed a little bit with him having surgery for his arm and he won't be pitching in 2024. But are you ready to pay $50 million for a DH if that's what it comes down to? Well, if it, uh, I mean, look, DH, it, I know the Mets don't know this, but because of uh, who the DH has been the last couple of years, but DH is actually uh, a pretty important um, yeah. position. So uh, if you're going to get one of the better players in the league, knowing that in the future he's going to be able to help you out on the mound as well. I don't see why, why you wouldn't want that. I mean, he's obviously going to, he's proven that he's a, an upper echelon elite, elite hitter as well as a pitcher. So it's not like you're, you're rolling the dice on a guy that's a pitcher that, okay, he might be able to hit a little bit. No, this guy can flat out hit. And 
I think it's bottom line. It's going to come down to whether he wants to play in New York or not. I don't think the money's going to yeah. be an issue. I think it's just going to really come down to whether he wants to, to be a Met. And um, we can be hopeful, and I'm hopeful. And uh, I don't know his personality. I know that uh, I questioned Trout and his personality because he had his opportunity to come back east and play, and he chose not to. And uh, he chose also not to play in October ever. So, um, <laughs> it's true, though. Yeah, it I laugh, is true. but it's it's you know, unfortunately true. And unfortunately, uh, we miss out, um, and a lot of the country misses out on those on those types of players playing in an anonymity. And uh, I hope that uh, Shohei is not one of them, and I hope that he wants to bring it to the big stage. And um, and let's you know let's try to make the Mets the organization that everybody wants, and let's get that World Series here. Well, two things: <laughs> you hit the nail on the head um, right there. The the rumor, the article today, I believe it was Jeff Passan, who's a very big name for ESPN. You know, it comes down to, and nobody knows this besides Otani, his family, his agent, whether he wants to play on the East Coast. Mets are going to match, I believe, any offer just because of what he can bring and what he, they probably think he's worth. They can make the money if, in jerseys. You're going to make the money right. in jerseys anyway. Exactly. Uh, so it, it just comes down to, does he want to stay on the West Coast, play for L.A., play for whoever, you know, he's not staying with the Angels. And, you know, we, we'll see what happens. But the, the rumors are not going to go away. No. He's going to be part of the Mets uh, talk until they're until he's with another team or with the Mets. And then the last thing, I rather have a Juan Soto. Who's a free agent after 2024? He's going to garner over 400 million. You know, he he turned down 400 million from the Nationals. He, he hasn't stopped hitting or walking, and his on-base percentage is insane for his career. He's 24, turning 25. He's accomplished more than most people have in their career already. You know, and he's 24. If it meant, and this is my own personal decision, and uh, I, I like to know what you think. If it meant. If I could have one of the two, and if it means if I sign Otani, I can't have Soto, and vice versa, I'm going Soto. You know, I know Otani's still young, and I know he's a unicorn, but that that risk and reward is so high with Otani and Soto. And just I, I guys, if you're listening or watching, Google Soto stats, Baseball Reference, or wherever Wikipedia, and look at Soto stats. He started at 19. It's an incredible career already. He's 24. I'd rather have Soto. What do you think? I think that's. I think you got a great point there. Obviously, age-wise, uh, and future years-wise, and health-wise, up to this point, uh, Soto is is uncomparable. Um, the only thing you worry about with him a little bit maybe is a little bit of a, a burnout. You know, because he's been doing it for so long. Maybe he ends up burning out there towards the end uh, when he's been around playing for 15, 20 years. I don't know him personally. I know that I don't particularly care for the a lot of the players um, in San Diego. I don't think Bob Melvin did either. I think that's he's why, gone. Why he's got a new <laughs> job. Um, I don't know Juan Soto. Uh, I think he's a tremendous baseball player. Well, hopefully he can keep it professional. Uh, you know, I don't know the guy. I, I but obviously at 24 years old for another 10 years at 34, he's still probably going to be a pretty damn good player. Uh, and, you know, as an outfielder, not a middle infielder, let's say like Lindor, who's going to get a little bit older as his contract goes on. Yeah. And with DH still being a possibility, I think that that would be a tremendous, uh, tremendous acquisition for the Mets as well. If they if they could pull it off. It's it's amazing how, you know, I know ownership with Steve Cohen started three years ago as we go into year four. But just to be a Mets fan and and with the Wilpons who, you know, were coupon shopping, if you will, for so long. It's amazing as a Mets fan as I sit here and I just take a step back. Who would I rather have? Show me yeah, we want everybody. Or, Give me a moment. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's like giving me a credit card with yeah. unlimited credit balance and go shopping, Casey. You know, as a Mets fan for decades, it's it's unheard of and it's a good feeling. Well, now it doesn't translate to winning, right. but it's well, it's a thing. good feeling. Like, if they don't have a big off season and sign some of these names that we're talking about, the with the expectations now because of the money. Uh, you're going to go into a season with the letdown already, you know, where yeah. people are going to be like felt let down that you didn't get these huge names. So uh, let's hope that they can can score, score some of them. So yeah. that, and the Yamamoto over there would be nice too. But now we're talking about, we want all of the, all of the top yeah. guys, you know, and he's going to probably Yamamoto would probably get over 200 million. He's 24 years of age as well. Uh, so 
you know, being a meth fan, I'm not saying we're greedy or anything. And I don't take this for granted. We, we paid our dues, you know, with the lineups and the rotations that we saw, you know, lately. And, uh, it's just a different feeling. Um, let's move on. Uh, I came up with this and I uh, wanted to get your take. Uh, I asked this on Twitter, follow us on Twitter guys, uh, Shay underscore hello. And, uh, you probably have saw this. If not, uh, Hit that follow button. Mets traded away a bunch of guys, as as we know, at the deadline. Now, I'll just go, like, no Scherzer, no Verlander. They're staying put uh, in Texas and Houston, respectively. But the guys that are free agents, I want to know who, out of these guys, you would have you would want the most. Now, I'm just going to read the names for everyone listening or watching. David Robertson, Tommy Pham, Mark Hanna, who has a team option. Brewers have that option, $9.5 million. With a two million buyout, so it's eleven and a half million, really, but two million on all that. Eduardo Escobar or Dom Leon, I have to throw them in there. They were traded away, and they're free agents. Out of those guys, not saying any of them, you could say zero. Out of those guys I just named, who would you want the Mets and would fit well in twenty twenty four to come well, back? I think after what we've seen about what Fam had to say about uh, the position <sighs> players on that team, that ain't happening. Uh, yeah. Regardless, it didn't matter if he hit 700 or not. He's not coming back to be a Met. Um, right. I agree. I would, Robertson, I mean, obviously he's still serviceable. He's, you know, as we've seen with Max, you can get old fast. You know, you can go from being good to being not so good really, really quick. But um, obviously I think that he's still got something left in the tank and I would take him back. I totally agree. Tommy Fan, my thought was 50-50 coming back after he was traded, but after he kind of threw the Mets under the bus and the players. Uh, I hope they took yeah. that as a wake-up call, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah. we talked about the whole BP thing and the nobody going out to warm up. I hope they take it as a wake-up call. I yeah. think Buck had to take it as a wake-up call because he gone. Yeah. And, you know, and and the general manager, he gone. Yeah. Yeah, look what and happens. Probably the, uh, whoever the people were telling them they need to rest before the game, they're probably going to be gone too. And there's a lot of guys who are gone too, who are were in the front office. You know, we I don't. I think you're going to see batting practice, and I think you're going to see people warming up on the field again. I'll tell you what, if Craig Council's a manager, uh, I, I would agree with you. You know, and he probably he is the front runner. Obviously, Mets can't talk to him to the 31st because yeah. the 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 Brewers and their their uh, owner is a piece of shit. Don't mind me. But you I'll take Robertson me. back. I'll put him in the yeah. bullpen again. Absolutely, Robertson. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Out of everyone I just named, uh, David Robertson did he pitch well for Miami? No. Did it make any sense? No, because he had a great year at the Mets, but he wasn't supposed to be the closer for the he Mets. Didn't wanna, he didn't want to leave, and I'm sure he was he was uh, you know in shock yeah. and. Probably he was hard. Yeah. And, and that, as we know, if we look back, was the beginning of all the chain of events that's, that went down. Robertson traded five days before the deadline. Max goes to Cohen. What the hell? A day later, Max is traded to the Rangers. Verlander. What the hell? Verlander, a day later. Well, those guys weren't to... ready to quit. They weren't ready to no, quit. Yeah. Yet. You know? No. They weren't no, ready. That... And as, players, right. you, as, as long as you got a chance, you feel like you got a chance, you want to fight for that chance. You know? Yeah. So I'll agree with you. Um, actually, I do want Robertson back, you know, regardless if I just don't have to pick one or if I do. Uh, he was going to be our eighth inning man in 2023. Hopefully Diaz is ready to go, which I believe he is, and he has a good offseason that needs good. And, you know, bring him back on the same deal that you did last year, which was, I believe, one year, like $10 million. Bring him back, eighth inning man. Pressure's off out of Vino you know, to be that eighth inning man and, uh, you know, go from there. Um, I got a fun one for you, Bill. All right. I love these types of questions. Uh, Mount Rushmore. Now we all know that there's four. I'm going to go with the category of the Mount Rushmore for this one of, in your opinion, Mets, most underrated Mets in history on that Mount Rushmore. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I'm going to I'm going to cheat just a little bit because we did have our notes earlier and I think you hit it right on the head to be honest with you. I, I thought I sat and thought about it and I couldn't come up with anybody any, any better than what you came up with and now uh, Oh, you're just going to take my cuz I, I told you who I picked. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Ah, me to okay. I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. Okay. You, you pick the four best guys and you know, they, those are the guys. Olderud. Yep. You got Edgardo Alfonso. Rick yep. Reed, the poor man's uh, 
Greg Maddox. Yep. And then the kid, you know, Gary Carter. These are guys that um, yeah, yeah. were tremendous players. Some of them were all-stars. I think all of them were actually. Didn't Rick Reed made an all-star team, right? Yes, he all, did. So all of them were all-stars as Mets. Um, none of them Hall of Famers. Uh, actually, one of them is Gary. Hall of Famer. Uh, one of them doesn't have his number uh, retired yet, but he might, he might get there. But um, I have to agree with you. I mean, I don't think there's, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't come up with anybody else, to be honest with you. I, I, I thought long and hard. I mean, easy for me with really three. John Olerud, in my mind, is number one. He, he wasn't here long in New York, but uh, look at the numbers, look at his defense, look at the clutch hits, you know, and all that. Rick Reed, I, I he's so underrated just watching him every start, you know, and I know you knew him, you know, uh, just like you said, a poor man's Greg Maddox. He was just, he was fun to watch. He just was, and he put up his numbers, quality starts, you know, relied on him. Uh, I believe he won the only World Series game in 2000 against the Yankees, which was game three at uh, Shea Stadium. And Edgardo Alfonso, all-star, well-known Met, but still underrated. Without Edgardo Alfonso, Mike Piazza doesn't have the career that he does in New York. It was the silence of how clutch Fonzie, in my opinion, was. Fonzie is uh, one, one of the best players I ever played with, and I had the, the luck, the opportunity to play with him uh, from short season A ball from actually extended spring training all the right. way through to the major leagues. And he's one of my favorite players of all time. And, uh, I think I might've even said this to you before I learned a lot of Spanish, uh, from, you did not no. from uh, sitting on the bus. We would sit on the bus ride and I would help yeah. him with English and he would help me learn Spanish. So, uh, that's my heart right there. I love that guy. And, um, yeah. he's, he's one of my favorite ball players of all time. Same here. Yeah, never played with him, never was on a bus with him and just was watching him as a as a fan and as a little, you know, as a teenager. Yeah. The the fourth guy on the Mount Rushmore was a little hard. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, because Gary Carter is a Hall of Famer. Gary Carter is, you know, a Hall of Famer. I could just stop there. That's all you need to know. But I do think he was underrated as a Met. Uh and I could I go no further. Just, I don't think it was so much just so much as a player. I think it was what he meant to everybody right. on that 86 team. Cause he was kind of like, and after that, you know, knowing doc Gooden and spending some time with doc Gooden and talking about uh, Gary Carter and what he meant to him and what he meant to that ball club. I think that uh, obviously Keith Hernandez was thought about as, as a, as a captain on that team. But I think when it came down to, you need to talk to somebody, somebody, you uh -huh. know, you need some advice. I think that uh, I think kid was the, was the guy. Yeah. And, and you, again, you hit the, the nail on the head. Gary Carter, 86, and what he did in that series with all the pressure and the Mets needed someone and something, and he was always there. Other than, you know, Lenny Dykstra in game three, starting it all off. You know, Gary, all series long. Uh, and just like you said, the leadership and someone you needed to talk to. He didn't have that C on his chest like Keith Hernandez, so you can't call Keith underrated. Absolutely um, Right. But Gary, I just think was underrated, you know, regardless of he's got a plaque in Cooperstown. I just think he was, but it's, it's tough, you know, for that fourth one, but I stand by the first three and I'm happy you agree. You know, I do. I, I, don't, I, I nailed it. All right. I'll take it. I'll, I'll take the compliment. And uh, before we move on to the mailbag, cause we've got some questions to get to, uh, we were talking about Rick Reed and uh, you know, Fonzie, the late nineties Mets. Al Leiter turned 58 years young on Monday. And I was looking at his numbers, uh, Shea Lowe on our, uh, I, we didn't do a newsletter on Al and his birthday. Um, we did, uh, some other types of, uh, you know, happy birthday things, but Shea, uh, I should say Al Leiter, he was underrated looking at his numbers. Now I wanted to ask you, do you have any memories from Al? Cause you know, you played around the same time. Al, let, let's just let everyone watching on uh, Shay hello media on YouTube or listening, wherever you get your podcast, 95 wins in seven years, 213 starts, an all-star appearance. You know, he pitched that play in game against the Reds uh, in Cincinnati. If you remember, uh, Edgardo hit that big home run. Uh, I believe Ricky Henderson as well. Uh, he had a great career for the Mets, and he played for a lot of different teams, but his wins and his accomplishments really with the Mets overshadowed. So did you play with him? Your thoughts on Al Leiter? I loved him. And um, his grunts on the mound, his tenacity, you know, what do you think? What did you think of Al? Well, I did play with Al, and uh, I actually had an opportunity to meet Al Leiter uh, prior to playing with him 
when he was a Marlin and getting to, uh, when I was rehabbing from Tommy John, you know, uh, Hunley introduced me to him. So we got to talk as, le- as left-handed pitchers. And I just remember watching him throw a 97, 98 miles an hour before they were, uh, measuring right. the ball out of the pitcher's hand and they were measuring the ball at home plate. So you can only imagine what that was, um, you know, in today's gun, I'm sure he would have been throwing hundred, 101 miles an hour when he was a Marlin. He was just filthy, loved his competitiveness, uh, kind of li- likened to myself, my approach to pitching a, a little bit. To, Le- like lefty. Him, you know, yeah. You're very, both lefties. Uh, a little bit of your hair on fire a little bit, you know, very competitive, fiery guy. Um, he had a lot of advice for me uh, when we did play together that I probably wasn't ready to to listen to at the time, uh, being still young and uh, dumb, I would say. Yeah. But um, And then as a Met, he actually kind of transformed himself into that flame-throwing, cutting the fastball all the time. Yeah. So if you think back to the end of his career with the Mets, he was you know, a 90, 91, 92-mile-an-hour guy. But he had that cutter. That cutter. That, and then he learned how to throw a sinker, which I specifically remember in spring training, him and Dennis Cook and playing catch and them going over what Dennis Cook thought about how he threw his two-seamer and out trying yeah. to play catch and getting so frustrated that he couldn't figure it out. And then over the time, over the, you know, you got to see him kind of develop a pitch that was actually going the opposite direction, going to the left as opposed to, as opposed to the right. And um, bottom line, Al Leiter, great pitcher, uh, great professional um, just, uh, you know, co- consummate competitor. And, um, he was, uh, I wish I would have listened a little bit better to him <laughs> when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I love how you brought Dennis cook into the, uh, podcast. Is it something about lefties that you guys just had a bond, you know, cause yeah, Dennis you know, cook, I mean, another lefty. We're only, we're, there's a smaller, there's a small few of us in, in culture, let alone in life uh, just population. Baseball. So, um, right. You know, we try to stick. To, I actually, I do a another little thing uh, with with another group of three other guys that are their former former left-handed pitchers. The lefties, the right? Southpaw, right? So, um, yeah, it's a, a brotherhood within a brotherhood for sure. I have nothing bad to say about Al. Like you said, his tenacity, his yeah. his you know, Fire, yeah, you can't you can't teach that. That's just with you. Yep. So, uh, happy birthday, Al, and uh, thank you for the memories. Seven years with the Mets. Let's get into the mailbag. Uh, we got some questions for Bill Pulsifer. Once again, uh, follow us on Shay underscore hello on uh, Twitter or X, whatever the hell you want to call it, formerly or Shay Hello, as- formerly known as Twitter. And uh, Shay Hello Pod is our podcast Twitter name as well. Uh, you can always, uh, we always come out before our podcast where we ask you to ask if you have any questions for Mr. Pulsifer. This week, we got some questions. Let's get to a couple of them. Your boy, we're going to start with him first. JK, uh, NYMGI. He is back. We know you're his favorite and he's your favorite. I appreciate him. And he appreciates you. His question for this week, what is your favorite piece of memorabilia you kept from your playing career? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. It's something that's Please. not even, it's not even from the major leagues. It's actually from the minor leagues and it's from my last start in organized baseball, which was in 2005. I was in Memphis. I, I was in St. Louis, but then I ended up playing the majority of the year in Memphis and my last start in organized baseball. Now, granted, this was 05 and I went on to play until 2011 uh, overseas, independent baseball, what have you, winter ball. Um, the glove that I wore in that game, because I actually struck out my career high in, as a professional, 15 strikeouts in my last game in organized baseball, when I was being told that you're no longer good enough to play, uh, for one of the organizations. So that's something that I hold dear to myself because I'll remember that the last game that I ever played in organized baseball, I set my career high in strikeouts. And I believe it still might be the the strikeout record at AutoZone Park, if it's still called AutoZone Park in Memphis. But, yeah, that, that glove, that's my favorite thing. That's a great story. I mean, was, was that a big F you? to Kinda Like sorta. you had the, the extra adrenaline you might, might have had that, you know, 15 strikeouts in any level. I don't care where you are. is a big deal. There's 27 outs, you know? Yeah. I mean, it <laughs> kind of was. You know, you kind of knew this was going to be the end. And I just yeah. – uh, it was a special night. You know, I think I went eight and two-thirds. So I actually – 
because I was at like 130 pitches or something. Oof. And um, the manager came to take me out. So I got to get the little ovation from the crowd as well, as opposed to just the team celebrating, um, yeah. you know, celebrating a win. So, yep, that glove, little Louisville slugger, little black Louisville slugger glove. Great. That's a great story. Great question. So thanks for the question. Uh, NYMGI. Great answer. Didn't know it was going to go there. Uh, we got another question from uh, Jimmy uh, Langs. He goes, happy belated birthday, Bill, as you celebrated the big five Oh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, he wants to know when you guys went out on the road, was it the player who made the most money that usually paid for the round of drinks that night? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You go out with the veterans and that. And if you're a younger guy, you're really not paying for, for anything. You know, I had a good group of veteran guys when I first came up. Um, obviously, when you go out and it's more, you know, as you get a little bit older and you become more of a veteran guy, kind right. of gets, the, the bill kind of gets shared. But I had guys like Brett Saberhagen and John Franco and uh, Bobby Bonilla and guys like that when I first came up that I, I wasn't I wasn't paying for anything. Yeah, no, I, that's usually, I thought that would be the way to go. Just being the minors as a broadcaster, uh, you know, I was with the Ducks for a couple of years. Sidney Ponson was on the team and, uh, he liked to drink and no one paid for a beer. It was, it was all on him. Yep. Uh, and Gary was our manager. Gary didn't drink. And if he did, it was always a little Coors Light, you know, for <laughs> Gary. Uh, good question. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, we got another question from Maria MB18. Bill? How would you structure the 2024 New York Mets starting rotation? Well, I think as of right now, there's only two that we can completely pencil in. I think we talked about this uh, last week uh, with Quintana. Obviously, Senga is probably going to be starting opening day. Quintana right behind him. As of now. As of now, yeah. Um, we've got, uh, obviously, we've got the other guys. I think that there's going to be some fill-in-the-blanks, possibly a little bit, that aren't in the organization right now. If we go with just what we have right now, I would say then you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, Lucchese, uh, Peterson, and uh, McGill. I mean, those. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's anybody quite ready yet to step into the, the, the big league staff in the minor leagues. Um, I think that might be a question coming up, to be honest with you. But uh, it is. We're, we're uh, you know for, what? I'm going to draw a blank on that. I'm going to draw a blank on that because I looked it up, but uh, I, I, you're yeah. going to have to answer that, to be honest with you. Uh, you're going to know more. Yeah. Than me. Uh, Maria, it's a good question. So, like Bill said, we can only pencil in two uh, players right now. I'm talking about can... the, the minor league guys that's coming up. <laughs> yeah, well, the one that we'll get into that question uh, is actually next. But to answer Maria's question, Mets are going to sign a couple guys, whether it's Yamamoto, Jordan Montgomery, Aaron Nola. There's a bunch of free agents they could trade for Corbin uh, Burns. You know, we're like we sign spoke. everybody this offseason, apparently. We're going to get every single free agent that's yeah. worth a shit out there, apparently. <laughs> Bill's going to sign, come out of retirement. I'm going to start throwing. Uh, my bullpen's uh, beginning after we record this. And Maria, you're going to be on the mound as well. So we're signing everybody. Yeah. Uh, I think it's way early to, to know that right now. You know, yeah. we don't uh, even it's have a, a manager or general manager yet. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's, no. there's two starting pitchers as of now, right, right as we sit here. What, we'll go with this. Maria, stay tuned. Yeah, that's all I we agree. can tell you. Now, the next question, as you alluded to, it's from Theo A. And he wants to know what is or who is the best pitching option or who are the best pitching options for the minors? And uh, as you said, you needed a little help. Uh, I did a little research, but now I'm drawing blank. So you're going to have to you're going to have to help me out. Be my backup I could just here. I, I could just go with, you know, there's not a, a many of them. A Christian Scott, a Mike Vassell, double A, triple A, uh, Vassell. Uh, in triple a he's probably the closest and then their number uh what was it the second rounder in 2022 but blake tidwell from university of uh, tennessee who probably is the number one uh pitching prospect in the minors he's not close you know he's young he's got uh i believe he was at the end of the year in double a uh their pitching in the minors is a little suspect you know they don't have a lot but that they're building it up like a tidwell you know mike vassal and Christian Scott, we saw some guys uh, that have uh, – we could see some good things from them. But to be honest with you, they're a little top-heavy, which is a good thing because they weren't before the deadline on the position players in the minors. Pitching, not so much. So if I had to give three names, it would be those three. Uh, so thank you for the question, Theo. Uh, we'll go with one more question. Uh, James Martin, he goes, 
And I like how he calls you Mr. Pulsifer. Hey, Mr. Pulsifer. I'm 50 now. I'm a mister. Oh, so at 49, you're, I was just you're, just, Bill. you're Bill. Now Bill you're Pulse. Mr. Yeah. Got it. Pulse, Bill at 49, and at 50, Mr. Pulsifer. Yes, sir. Okay. James Martin wants to know, and he goes, hey, Mr. Pulsifer, uh, how was it and how did it affect your career not pitching in 1996? <laughs> well, I think that uh, it was it was – it was huge and not so much the missing of the pitching uh, more the, what happened after I came back because it was uh, you know, I had everything. It just kind of happened exactly how I wanted things to happen in my life prior to that. You know uh, I was going to do this by this age, this by this age. And I was in the big leagues by 21 uh, was successful coming out of the gates as a, as a, as a major league starting pitcher. And then I got injured and, um, and like I said, I don't think it was the not pitching in 96 because missing a year at that age, I don't think is a huge, huge deal. I think it was what happened with me um, mentally uh, when I came back. Something just kind of changed. You know, I don't know what it was. Uh, obviously, it was an anxiety and depression issue that I had that didn't really rear its ugly head until after I had missed that year and came back. But um, I think it altered my career tremendously. Trem yeah. Tremendously. I think that when people say, oh, if there's one person you'd like to see that they're in, they didn't get injured and what would happen with their career. If anybody ever asked me that, I always start with myself. That's so yeah, no, I would love to have seen what I would have been able to do without getting injured uh, and without the Yankees starting to win the World Series every year <laughs> and the Mets deciding that they, you know, they weren't going to yeah. try to develop young, young pitchers anymore. Yeah. And, and, and I didn't lose my mind. Uh, that would have helped, too. <laughs> Definitely need your mind, especially as a pitcher, yes. you know, in the big league. So that's going to end the mailbag. Thank you for all the questions. Every week we do have the mailbag where you can ask Mr. Pulsifer, Mr. Pulsifer, uh, any question under the sun. If you have uh, any for me, sure, but who cares? Anyway, let's go into quick pitches, and we're going to go rapid fast. Uh, for Bill, three questions. He doesn't know what's coming. These are always fun. Ready, Bill? Yes, sir. Or Mr. Pulsifer? Yes. Get it right. Which animal would be the nicest if they could talk? Dogs. English. Dogs? Dogs can't speak English? Or if they could. Well, I'm saying, like, hypothetically, if the words would come out of English or whatever country, Spanish and Puerto Rico, you know, et cetera. I think as, as man's best friend, it's got to be a dog. I would think dogs yeah. would be the nicest, you know? I mean, I know I, I love my dogs, and they're the nicest to me. I wish they could <laughs> talk. I think sometimes they look at me like they want to talk. So I would say a oh. dog. Definitely yeah, I'm a dog, dog lover. I, I have Shay, obviously. Um, I agree. Dogs. dogs. And yeah, and we know as dog lovers, they do talk to us with their eyes, their their actions. They talk to us. Yeah. I'm just saying if they could verbally cats talk would be to telling us. You, cats would be telling you, screw you. Dogs would be telling you how uh -huh. much they love you and how hungry yeah. they are. Dogs would say, I'm hungry. Feed me. Or I got to go take a shit. And, and cats would say, get the hell out of here. Yeah, you know, leave me alone. Out. Right, right, and no offense to cat lovers, you know that it's just you probably too. agree with us. I, they just right. don't love me as much. <laughs> exactly. Next one, as we continue the rapid fire of quick pitches, what is your most hated way of transportation? Uh, I don't really like flying. You know, I mean, obviously, wow. I, had do it. I had to do it for a long time. I just feel like, man, if it ever does go down, it's kind of a, it's yeah. pretty much it. You know, so well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> not a big, not a big fan of flying. I, I'll do it. Don't, don't get on there fearfully, but I would rather not if I didn't have to. Is it more of actually? That? You know what? I'm going to change that, and I've never done okay. it. But I'm going to say cruise ship. Wow, I don't want to okay. go on a cruise ship. Okay, now I guess we could do this with any mode of transportation. That's the way I wanted to frame it: mode of transportation. But it's because someone else is in charge and leading the the. You know, driving of it, the plane. I just think on either one of those, if something happens, man, you're screwed. You know, yeah. I, you can get into a fender bender or, or riding your bike. You can fall off your bike. But if the plane falls out of the sky, we got problems. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. The last one, we're just going to keep it. I don't know why I did this, but uh, transportation questions. In 2050, or let's screw it, 2050, 2075, what is, in your opinion, the fastest mode of transportation? Let's look into the future. Teleportation. You really think that's a possibility? I think anything's a possibility. Well, yeah. And I don't know. That would... I don't know. I mean, um... 
That would be crazy. Load, I think it's still going to be a plane. And I, I think that the plane, if we don't have teleportation, or, but uh, I think the airplane's still going to be the fastest, unless we're going around on rocket ships from place to place. I tried to make the, that's why I said 2050 and it moved it to 2075. We won't be here for any of that, but uh, let's, you know, I was just trying, yeah, uh, electric cars, no one thought was going to happen. We all thought like when Back to the Future came out in 19, you know, 80, whatever it came out in, that uh, hoverboards and uh, flying cars, I should say. Well, that didn't happen. So, uh, yeah, I probably say it's still planes, but the fact that we have electric cars, Things obviously take time. It would probably be in fifty years still planes. I don't think you're gonna be driving around in any in anything at five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred miles an hour. You're still gonna have to be up in the air and something. Yeah. But I'm hoping for teleportation. That would that would save a lot of time. I don't put anything uh, past I don't I don't put anything past. You never know, man. You never know. Yeah, I don't know why I got stuck on the transportation questions, but we're just going with it. So I think you feel like you need to be on a trip somewhere. Maybe you got to take a little vacation. Yeah, it's been a, a it's been a three months, so I think that's where I'm going with uh, yeah. that. You might be onto something, but that's gonna do it for uh, this episode of the Shayalo podcast. Uh, a lot of people to thank. I want to thank everybody watching and looking at our either mug faces, in your opinion, or our beautiful faces on our YouTube channel, which is at Shayalo Media. Uh, if you're listening, uh, whether it's Google, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, Shay Hello Podcast is what you type in. Thank you for listening. Also, thank you, Stephen White. Check out his website at roots-recordings.com, our producer. Uh, and of course, last but not least, I want to thank Mr. Pulsifer uh, for another fun episode. Thank Any you. parting words as we uh, conclude this one and we get ready for some uh, big baseball? Uh, I appreciate all the questions. I appreciate uh, the time. And thank you. Thank you to everybody. I appreciate it, Casey. Sounds good. So thanks for all the questions in the mailbag. Thanks, Stephen White. Thanks for everybody watching and listening. And that was, with, again, pleasure, episode number 12. Have a great rest of your day, and we will see you next week for another edition of the Shay Hello Podcast.